turn to some sermon notes in your uh, back of your service leaflet. Uh, start with a movie quote. Everything around here is supposed to be different than what is here. That is a quote from the movie Grand Canyon. The setting of the scene is a tow truck driver named Mac shows up uh, to give some high-powered attorney a tow. Unfortunately, this high-powered attorney has broken down in the wrong part of town, and now this high-powered attorney has fallen in with some bad guys, and he's facing some high-calibered weapons. And it's at that moment that Mac, the tow truck driver, shows up and attempts to give him aid. He intervenes with the bad guys, and this is what he says. He says, look, guys, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but it ain't supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you guys if I can. This dude here, this attorney, is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. And that, my friends, is an excellent definition, both biblical definition and an experiential definition of the impact of sin. Everything, nothing, is the way it is supposed to be down here. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to just touch on this verse very briefly. The opening passage from the scripture we heard. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin came into the world. Did you note that? That sin is not an original part of God's creation. It is an alien invasion. It is an unnatural affection. You and I are not meant for the sin, nor the effects of sin, of death, destruction, divorce, war, war etc. Sin is un unnatural. It came into the world, and by the way, it will leave the world one day. It is an unnatural infection with devastating impacts. Death is listed as the impact here. Sin came into the world, and with sin came death, and there are certainly other impacts of sin, but boy, that's a big one. And note further that the spread of sin is universal. There is no thing that is not touched by the effects of sin. Sin spread to all men because, sorry, death spread to all men because all men sin. So again, back to the opening quote. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. Everything. That means everything in you, everything you feel, everything you taste, everything, every emotion, every action, nothing that you have done, have, have, have you done the way it's supposed to be done. Nothing that you felt, have you felt the way it's supposed to be felt. None of your loves operate in the right way. Nothing around you operates the way it's supposed to be. Your neighborhood doesn't it's not the type of neighborhood it should be. Your nation is not the nation that it should be. your family, your friends, everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. And I find that to be a, both a biblically accurate and experientially accurate description of the effects of sin. We're beginning a new sermon series this Sunday. It's entitled, The Wages of Sin and the Gift of God. Over this sermon series, we're going to look at the many devastating consequences of sin. And the Bible uses many words to describe the impact of sin on you and me. We find some of them right here in this passage. So every week we're going to look at one impact. And we're going to look at the impact of sin. 
Not because we like to just wallow in misery, although it is, of course, Lent, but we're going to explore the impact of sin in order that we can better appreciate the salvation that rescues us from sin. You know, Christian thinking has always measured the, the, the impact of sin by what was necessary to atone for it. In other words, if sin is not just that, is not that bad, then why did Jesus need to die on a cross? So we have a temptation, at least a potential, to trivialize sin. The author Cornelius Plantinga says this, To put it mildly, the modern consciousness does not encourage moral reproach. In particular, it does not encourage self-reproach. The word sin now finds its home mainly in dessert menus, as in a sinful chocolate cake. And when sin becomes trivialized, then salvation becomes trivialized. So, again, why the sermon series is necessary? We're going to look at the devastating impacts of sin so that we can have a better appreciation of the salvation that has been won for us and a deeper love for our Savior. So let's begin. Take a look at chapter 5, verse 18. Now this is a very dense passage. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. There are many things we could observe about this passage. However, we're going to limit ourselves to two observations. One, result of sin, and one, gift of God. Ready? Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation. There is the result of sin, condemnation. So one act of righteousness leads to justification. That is the gift of God, and it is identified as a gift in verse 15 as well. So two words, the wage of sin, condemnation, the gift of God, justification. Let's look at both of those two words. Both are legal words. Both are associated with the law courts. In extra-biblical writings, these are always legal terms. When Jesus was condemned by the Sanhedrin, these are the words that are used. He is condemned. Condemnation is an objective statement, a legal statement. In other words, it doesn't have anything to do with your subjective feelings. A criminal may say, I don't feel guilty. Doesn't matter. Condemnation like its uh, opposite justification, is a legal declaration, objective, not subjective. Now, condemnation is not a very popular word. Feelings of guilt, shame, are not very popular feelings. I meet with a, uh, a buddy of mine. He's a, a counselor, very successful in his practice. Um, and he... We, we meet monthly, and he probably thinks he's counseling me, and I think I'm counseling him. And we talk about areas of overlap in our, in our profession. And condemnation and guilt and shame, they, they, those are biblical words, and they show up all over the place. And it doesn't take much imagination to think that someone in his profession would encounter many people who are affected by condemnation, uh, feelings of shame and guilt. And no doubt those can be crippling emotions. But through my conversations with him and just my just observations of the world, it seems to me that we view condemnation, words like guilt and shame, as unqualified bad things. In other words, a person who feels guilt, feels shame, or feels condemnation, uh, those, those are always bad feelings and feelings that need to be explored and uprooted and removed. But what if... 
What if that is not always the case? The Bible suggests that one of the results of, con of sin is condemnation. And our subjective feelings of guilt may be in part just an accurate reflection of the condemnation we are under. We make an analogy. Stay with me for, for this analogy. Uh, this past Jan December, I was listening to a radio program. And uh, the two guys on the radio, the two G DJs, were uh, talking about the, uh, the best way to recover from a hangover after a night of drinking at too much at a holiday, holiday party. And they were trading their best uh, home remedies. And on the show, they went ahead and they called up a, a bartender. And then this asks the bartender, so bartender, what's the best way to avoid a hangover? And the bartender said, look, guys, there's only two ways to avoid a hangover. Way number one, never start drinking. Way number two, never stop. That is the only way you can avoid a hangover. Anything in between those two poles and your body is going to work out the effects of alcohol in the form of a hangover. Here's the analogy. There's only two ways to, to avoid the problem of guilt, the feeling of guilt. Number one, never start sinning. Number two, never stop. Therefore, I think there are only two people who have ever been completely unencumbered by guilt. Number one, Jesus. He never started sinning. Number two, the devil. He never stopped sinning. If you are anywhere in between those two poles, then you and I are going to wrestle with the effects of guilt as we work out the feeling of our own condemnation. One of my favorite authors wrote this. Praise to thee, dear brother guilt. Strong son of God's law and love, you do not cease thy pricks when I stoop to play with dangerous toys. You make my heart hunger beyond new clothes, new cars, new kitchens, new houses, new spouses. I have quarreled with thee, O tenacious shadow, that I cannot help but cast as I walk in God's light. I have hated thee as the enemy of my sweet sickness. Thy counterfeits have hurt and wounded me, but thou art the handle of God's help. Thou art the grip of his grace, and you are the adumbration of my help. Thou and thy true self art my glory's true friend and brother. So praise to thee, O happy guilt, and leave me not until you lead me home. Point number one, the wage of sin is condemnation, objective, judicial declaration, and our subjective experience of guilt points to that fact. This is not, condemnation is something that just is not felt by religious people. All humanity lives with this strangely persistent feeling of guilt, of being not enough. And you don't need to be, uh, li live with a, the, the thought of a good and righteous God to live with a feeling of condemnation. Most of us can condemn ourselves uh, through our own conscience, good enough or thoroughly enough. So we move from the wage of sin, which is condemnation, to the gift of God, which is justification. 
Like the word condemnation, the word justification is a legal word. It is a word that is appropriate for the courtroom. It's a word that means vindication, not just innocent. Look back at verse 18 with me. The acts of the righteous one lead to justification. Now, reading in the original, the, the word righteous and that word justified are almost synonymous. The word for righteousness is dikaios. The word for justification is dikaios. In other words, as you're reading in the original language, it's clear that the result of the righteous life of Jesus results not just in my forgiveness, but in my righteousness. It's not just forgiveness, but the de declaration of of rightness, vindication, not just forgiveness. Charles Wesley understood this connection between the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his own righteousness when he wrote our closing hymn, And Can It Be? Wesley writes, No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Wesley is reflecting on this passage we have here. Through the acts of the righteous one, Jesus, those who trust in him are credited not just with forgiveness, but with righteousness, not condemnation, with vindication, justification. So the wage of sin is condemnation. The gift of God is justification. The good news that nothing needs to be done that has not already been done. Justification is a gift freely given, even to those who insist on paying and given at great cost to the giver. The only scorekeeping that matter has come to an end, regardless of how you may feel at the moment. And that is the result of justification. Like condemnation, you may not always feel vindicated. Uh, it is an objective declaration, not a subjective feeling. So here's how I want to conclude. I want to conclude by saying that we should really be thankful that Jesus is who he said he was, that he lived the sinless life that he did, that he died a sinner's death for you and me, and that through faith in him, you and I can be justified. Because we all know what it is like to live under the weight of condemnation, and you don't need religious people to tell you that fact. All of us can condemn ourselves. And without the promise that you are justified by the righteous one, Jesus Christ, you are stuck in a rut from which you cannot escape, endlessly trying to justify yourself through any number of things, maybe through your kids, maybe through your work, maybe through your politics. You're going to try to justify yourself, and it's not going to work, and it's going to be comical and tragic and definitely not enjoyable. The free gift of God is justification, and with justification and trust in him comes life. Do you see that? Chapter 5, 18, the gift of God is justification and life 
for all men. So there we conclude. One result, I may even add one of the most significant results of sin, condemnation. You've all felt it. The free gift of God, credited to you on account of the righteous one, Jesus. Justification.